Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's message. My name's Aaron, and I'm on the staff team here at Eastlake. Everything we do around here depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who tune into these messages and see great benefit from living that idea that life is a gift and love is the point. So if you love what Eastlake is up to, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to eastlakecc.com. With that, let's jump into this week's message. Today, we hear from Peter Gad as he begins our new series, The Way I See It. Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. Well, hey, it's like great to see you. Peter Gad here and excited to be sharing with you today. Long time no see, long time no share. It's been a bit for me. I'm not sure if you recognize me with my COVID beard. It's not new to me. COVID's been here a long time, but maybe it's new to you. So I have the beard going. I think last time I shared, I had four kids. Um, but gotta be honest, like the last 18 months or so have been a bit of a, a blur, a bit of a whirlwind for us. Um, I do have four kids. They're nine and seven and five, and our youngest just turned two when we decided to have our little two-year-old Bennett, our walk-off home run, our, our swan song, our final, our final uh, test in this journey of um, at least starting our family. Um, we didn't think so. Uh, we didn't think that we would have him during a pandemic. We weren't planning on that little thing. We didn't like think ahead and uh, consider that in our equation. Um, we thought that our older two would be in school and be out of the house and things would be a little bit less crazy. Um, but meanwhile, COVID's been here and our kids have been Zoom schooling and we have four of them in our house and I've been working from home and Brittany is in her master's program. So just the last bit has been crazy. So I think this beard is well warranted. I don't have time to shave. Um, and I am excited though that uh, we're feeling like right now we're coming up for air and we're excited for hopefully fall school uh, to happen. And today I'm excited that I get to kick off this series called uh, The Way I See It. And uh, I'm really excited for these next couple of weeks. We get to hear from some really some all-stars, some people that I don't think we've heard from in a while. Um, Bart Campolo is going to be sharing and Britt Barron is going to be sharing. Bethel Lee and Pete Rollins are going to be a part of this series. And we're trying to get uh, a plurality of views. That's certainly an Eastlake value. But in this series, the way I see it, we've essentially asked every person to give us their take on how they see the world. So you're going to hear their values, the habits that they're finding helpful, uh, their perspective on what it's like to have consciousness and be a human today. Uh, hopefully you'll hear some ideas on how to live well during this time. And uh, one thing that we're doing that's a little bit unique in this series is that we are having each person share a talk for the first week, and then we're going to do a follow-up interview the following week. So after my talk today, Kristen is going to interview me and um, pick my brain, push back on all my dumb ideas, uh, and ask me some follow-up questions. And then as each person shares, Bart, Bethel, Britt, and Pete, uh, we're going to do a follow-up interview to kind of pick their brain on um, follow-up ideas, questions that we might have had um, that want to dig a little bit deeper in. Because the topic, the way I see it, what's your worldview, is I think just a little bit challenging. And so we thought we wanted to kind of offer the opportunity for a different format and get a little more input there. But the reason we thought that this series could be helpful is that we discuss regularly in our talks at Eastlake, uh, and we have our guests share and different people share. The reason why we thought it would be helpful 
um, to have this specific series is that we want to get a wide variety of perspectives in life. We think that that's really important. Uh, maybe you've heard quotes or ideas uh, from different East Lake people throughout the years. Um, the quote, self-awareness is the beginning of all growth, or every point of view is just that. It's a view from a point. Uh, we certainly value here at East Lake that um, everyone isn't going to think the same, that everyone isn't going to have the exact same worldview or the exact same, same 10 uh, you know, values or 10 beliefs that they hold to be most important. Uh, we don't think that there's one single perspective that is the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Um, rather, we value a plurality of views, and we're trying, hopefully, to help a community of people learn how to think. We're not trying to teach them exactly what to think. So with that, um, that's why this, I think, series will be helpful for us, and that's why we wanted to um, share that with uh, the community this fall. Um, for me, I think it's a tough topic. I mean, if, you, if I think about it for you, like let's say we grab coffee right now and I ask you, what is your worldview? Uh, how would you answer that question? My hunch is, is that uh, you might pause and that you might need to think about it for a little bit. Uh, it's a little bit more complex, I think, for me over the past decade. I mean, sure, COVID is a part of that. Um, but I'd be willing to bet that basically anybody who's been a part of this Eastlake community, uh, who's done any reflection, on their worldview, um, my guess is that if you found anything helpful and you've been following along, that you've done some software updates over the years. You've probably um, changed a few worldviews, changed a few beliefs, let go of a few things, adopted a few new things. I know that's certainly been my experience. Over the last 15 years, uh, my worldview has changed dramatically. And certainly that is just going into adulthood, right? Going from 22 to 37. Um, but my views of God my views of what is true, getting married, having four kids, transitioning from career pastor to not a career pastor, uh, transitioning from a pretty typical Christian kid um, to whatever I am now. Uh, all those things, I think, have made the way I see it uh, a little bit more gray than clear cut and black and white. And I think uh, as I reflected on what is my worldview, what is the way I see it? As I, I was trying to like distill it down for this talk, um, I think I've arrived at a, a place that would say that I've accepted that my worldview is intrinsically flawed, that it is biased, and that my perspective will continue to keep changing. And so maybe the way that I would say the way I see it is that I am biased and that I am evolving. And I think you are too. And well, maybe I'll put it this way. I know that you are biased and I am hopeful that you are evolving. So that's, I think, kind of the, the headline for where I'm going today. Uh, over the years, I have found the topic of human psychology to be fascinating. And I certainly would not call myself an expert by any means on human psychology, um, but I find the topic just fascinating and interesting. Um, maybe it's just being married to Brittany, who's in a psychology field um, and through all of her studies and living vicariously through all the discussions and stuff that she brings up. Certainly parenting has elevated uh, for me, the experience of like raising kids has elevated for me, like how important human psychology is and how important our brain is and how we see the world and making choices. Uh, maybe it's just like they lie to me all the time and they're trying to manipulate me into buying them more Legos. Uh, it feels like that's a part of why I think psychology is important. Uh, but here's a quick definition. Psychology is simply the study of the mind and behavior. Essentially, Psychology is how do humans think and behave? What influences the choices that we make? And again, I'm not an expert. I'm, I would say I'm just kind of dipping my toes in the water, but 
one of the main things that I've taken away through the reading and through the discussions that I've had in this vein of, of human psychology is that as humans, we are biased, that humans are not robots. We are not algorithms. We are not ones and zeros making decisions in a um, purely objective way based on facts alone. There are many factors that contribute to our decisions and to our worldview, not just data. So essentially, if you think that your perspective is purely rational or purely based on fact, unfortunately, you're out of touch. And the other day I had a really fun kind of proud dad moment. I was watching um, some sports with my uh, older two boys. Marshall is five, Joel is seven. And we're watching this game and I'm, uh, it was commercial break. And I'm like, all right, guys, it's time for PJs. PJs and brush your teeth during commercials. You can come back after that and watch more of the game. And... For my kids, that's a little bit backwards because they love the commercials. That's like the highlight is commercials, commercials, like the game is fine, but they mostly just want to like <laughs> look at commercials and uh, I don't know, it's, they think they're very interesting. And so it's been an ongoing kind of battle to like get them to go do stuff during commercials. But anyways, I had this proud moment. My older son, Joel, says to Marshall after a little bit of like me trying to like, come on guys, let's get going. Joel says, come on, Marsh, let's go brush our teeth. These commercials are just wanting or trying to make us buy stuff. <laughs> so Joel said, these commercials are just trying to make us buy stuff. And I was thinking in that moment and I like laughed and letting, like sending him off, right? But in the moment I'm thinking, oh no, like he definitely got that from me. He's certainly parroting uh, a sentence that he's heard from his parents. And I also thought, what else is he parenting or parroting back? What other things is he <laughs> saying that he's learned um, and may not be understanding fully? But uh, essentially... In this, you know, little example from Joel, it did make me proud because he wasn't just consuming the content and accepting it as true and valid and accurate. He was evaluating the content and recognizing that this particular commercial was just trying to get him to do something. It had an aim. It was trying to influence his choices. My seven-year-old, even at his young age, was able to kind of put on these psychology lenses and see that this commercial is trying to influence my thinking and my actions. And it made me proud of him. Um, speaking of, par of parroting, I have a two-year-old and this kid is the most verbal kid we've ever had. Um, and the other day we're driving down the road and he says, ah, oh, dad, what the heck is that? He points out the window and says the sentence. I'd never heard him say this ever before. He says, what the heck is that? And uh, that was maybe a little bit I'm kind of proud and a little bit fearful because based on all the words that he's been exposed to in his two short years, it was it made me really glad that he said heck because I think there's a couple other options that might have come to mind. But um, this is a little bit our life right now. We have kids and they're parroting back consistently good things that we say and less than good things uh, that we say. But a minute ago, uh, and kind of I'm kicking off this this topic. I I mentioned that essentially I've come to the position that my perspective is flawed and biased. And that's based on studies in psychology, that's based on reading I've done and based on conversations and interactions that I've had, certainly personal experiences of my perspective changing and finding that I think I thought I a certain way and now I've changed my perspective on that. But I wanna dig deeper into this idea of human bias and why I think it's important for us to, I think, live meaningfully and live well. The field of psychology has done study after study, and they have concluded with a ton of clarity. And I don't mean like, you know, concluded like your uncle has an article that he found on Facebook and sent it over to you. Like they have like real peer reviewed double blind studies that show 
consistently that humans have biases. And all I mean by bias is that we as humans are predisposed, we lean towards seeing the world in a certain way. That our upbringing, that our family of origin, that our relationships, that our culture, that our experiences impact how we see the world. That impacts the, the interactions that we have with others. It impacts our worldview. You see the world not based on objective reality. You see the world through your life's set of lenses. Essentially, I see the world through 37 years of Peter Gad lenses, of my parents, of my you know, birth city, of my high school, all those things, my algorithm now, if you think about even how social media and how the internet's impacted that, our scrolling and what we click on on our phones, those, that creates a perspective, that creates a worldview for us. Study after study have shown that humans' perspectives are biased. And so what I, what I wanted to give um, and I don't. I think bias sometimes has like a negative connotation, uh, and, and that's okay. That's certainly kind of where I think it, it tends to lean. I'm more using it as a, just in a neutral fashion today, just to kind of help us recognize that we don't see things objectively; we see things subjectively. So I want to give a kind of a couple examples that I've come across. Some of you may have heard of, some of you might not have, um, but. After these have been pointed out to me, after I've read about these and learned a little bit more about these, it's like I can't see them. And it's kind of like, um, you know, the most recent car that you think is cool and the next car you want to buy. Whatever car you're looking up, suddenly, if you're interested in that car, you're going to start seeing it everywhere. And that's recently happened to me. For me, that's always the coolest next updated minivan. Have I mentioned I have four kids? I think I've said that now 22 times. But um, that in and of itself is a bias. And so we're going to talk about some examples of bias that we have to see the world a certain way. If you're interested in this topic and you find this stuff interesting, um, there's two books that I'd certainly recommend. One is the book Think Again by Adam Grant. I love Adam Grant. I love all of his stuff, but his book Think Again is fantastic, all about how we can think more like a scientist. Um, and I love his perspective on that. And then the other book that's influenced this talk and I think been very helpful for me is the book The Art of Thinking Clearly. The book The Art of Thinking Clearly, that's by Rolf DeBelli. So those two, top, uh, two books, if you want to do more on this. I'd certainly encourage you to read. But here's a couple of examples of bias. First one, you probably heard of this one. It's called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. This is simply a bias that would say that we interpret new information in a way that confirms our existing beliefs. So when we get new information, we tend to receive it in a way that confirms our pre-existing beliefs. When there's some new data that supports our beliefs, we say, yep, told you so. And when there's some new data that doesn't support our beliefs, we have a tendency to say there's probably a problem with the experiment. Think about that for a second. When we get new information, we interpret it in a way that says our current beliefs are likely right. And if that information is in contrast with our current beliefs, we usually say that experiment is likely wrong because my, my beliefs are likely right. There's this great quote from Warren Buffett. He says, what the human being is best at is interpreting all new information so that their prior conclusions remain intact. I'll say that again. What the human being is best at is interpreting all new information so that their prior conclusions remain intact. Or I love this one from Adam Grant. He says, we listen to views that make us feel good instead of ideas that make us think hard. We listen to ideas that make us feel good instead of ideas that make us think hard. We have a tendency to try to keep our existing beliefs intact. That is the confirmation bias. So what do you do with this? How do you, how do you manage this bias? I think ultimately it is managing our biases. I'm not sure 
we can overcome this bias so that you'll never like once you know about it you'll never deal with it again i don't think that's what it is i think it's more management and kind of growing and more awareness of our biases but how would you manage your confirmation bias i came across the uh, in the art of thinking clearly he kind of gives an example of uh, a teacher in a math class that kind of did an experiment with their students and the teacher and um, what he was looking was trying to help the, the students determine what the math rule was so on the front of the piece of paper he put the numbers two four and six and what the students had to do was they had to determine what is the rule uh, what what it, they could choose any number um, to see if it fit in the sequence but ultimately they could um, only make one guess about what the rule was on the back of the sheet so they could guess any number but they only had one chance at the rule so most students, and when I first heard this story, I thought, well, two, four, six, I'm guessing eight. So most of the students said, does the number eight fit the rule? And the teacher would either say, yes, the number fits the rule, or no, the number doesn't fit the rule. So they say eight, and the teacher says, yes, that fits the rule. 10, yes, that fits the rule. 12, yes, that fits the rule. Basically, every student did that almost exact same thing. They said eight, six. 10 and 12 and then they made their guess their guess was for the most part almost all the students said is the rule that each number has to be increased by two and the teacher unfortunately said no that's not the rule only one student in the whole class asked more than those kind of basic numbers he asked negative two and he asked number seven and he asked an, a, a number of different numbers and the number negative two did not fit the rule and when he asked seven two, four, six, seven, the teacher said, yes, it fits the rule. And he came to the conclusion after guessing a, a bunch of numbers that his guess was that the number just had to be larger than the previous number. And the teacher said, correct, that is the rule. That was the rule. And what this kind of example, I think, teaches us is that most of us and most of the students in the classroom, I would be in, in the group that would have guessed just increased the number by two. But our tendency is to, again, look for things that confirm our initial assumption. Almost all the students sought to confirm their ideas. Only one student sought to find a fault in his thinking. And if you think about religion, or you think about the news, or you think about our focus on self-help, or you think about your algorithm, all of those things kind of create opportunity for confirmation bias. They create the opportunity for us to look for all the ways that our current beliefs are definitely right, as opposed to helping us think through all the ways that our current beliefs might not be correct. Hey everyone, it's Kristen. Just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in. I hope that you're finding these messages helpful for you in your everyday life. Um, that's what we're trying to do here is gather around the idea that life is a gift and love is the point and let's give ourselves ways to move forward in that in our own everyday world. Um, so I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for being a part of this community. To those of you who have participated and given financially, we want to say thank you to you. Everything that we do here happens because people make contributions. People say, I value this place. I want it to exist for me and for other people and so I'm going to support it. And so. We just want to say how grateful we are um, that you do that. And for those of you who maybe haven't had a chance to contribute yet, um, we would ask you to consider maybe doing so. If you find this place beneficial, if you find these messages helpful for you, then um, consider joining us in that way. You can go to eastlakecc.com to make a contribution. Um, and we just always are thankful for the people who want this place to exist. So thanks again for tuning in. Let's get back to the message.
So I think the, the point of this one is just to recognize that we have this tendency, that we have a tendency to um, look for things that confirm our bias. And the, the way to manage this would be to look for ways um, and try to have a, a humble approach that would look for things that counteract your belief. Um, in the book, um, Think Again by Adam Grant, he has this great question. Um, essentially, he asks, what evidence would you need to see that would change your mind? And so if we think about that question for, for us, what evidence would I need to see that would change my mind? It's just a, a way different perspective than what evidence supports my current beliefs. That, that's just a way different perspective. So confirmation bias, it's a big one. Second one that I thought was interesting, just kind of quickly buzzing through a couple of these. It's called the overconfidence bias. Humans are really bad at estimating what they know and how good they are at things. We, we have a major tendency to overestimate our knowledge, overestimate how much we know about certain topics, and overestimate our abilities. It's the difference between what, essentially this bias is the difference between what humans actually know and what they think they know. And what's interesting about this is the more educated you are and the more of an expert you are, the more likely you are to struggle uh, with this. But for instance, if you asked an economics expert to forecast the price of oil in five years, that person would likely be just as far off as a zookeeper, but the economics expert would have a ton more confidence. A couple other funny stats on this. 93% uh, of drivers say they're above average drivers. Think of that. 93% are above average drivers. 68% of university professors rate themselves in the top 25% of university professors. If you've ever remodeled your house, I have a hunch it wasn't done early and under budget because, again, estimating is a really challenging thing for humans. Um, not shockingly, men tend to struggle with this bias a little bit more than women, but women do struggle with it, just maybe a little bit less severely. Both optimists and pessimists struggle with the overconfidence bias. So in managing this one, uh, the goal would be to be a little bit more skeptical, skeptical of predictions, to favor the more pessimistic of scenarios that will help you, I think, skew a little bit more towards what's most likely. So that's the overconfidence bias. Third one here, authority bias. The authority bias simply says that we tend to view people that we think are authorities, we tend to think they're likely correct. We give a lot of credence to people who have higher socioeconomic status, um, that wear a certain type of clothing, um, that have titles in front of their name, um, especially, and, and that's very personal, right? So like who you call an authority might be different than who I call an authority, but part of our bias is to like wake up to that for the people that we place on a pedestal, we tend to think they're more true than they statistically are likely to be true. So authority bias simply says that we have to be careful of who we place on a pedestal and then be careful of our tendency to listen to everything that they say because we trust them or voted for them or picked them or we align with them on three things. So therefore, we align with them on 10 things. Beware of the bias of authority. And the last one I'll share, and there's 100 of these. That's what the art of thinking clearly is. It literally goes through 100 different biases. But the last one I'll share is one called the availability bias. And this bias simply says that we create a picture of the world using the examples that most easily come to mind. Say that one again. We create a picture of the world using the examples that most easily come to mind. So the idea here would be that if we can find an example that either confirms or denies somebody's statement, um, we tend to think like apply one example or one anecdote to 
the broad spectrum of all human experience. So an example would be, you know, my grandpa smoked uh, three packs a day and he lived till 85. So smoking isn't a big deal. Or this city is safe. You know, my friend lives downtown and he doesn't even lock his door. Even when he took a vacation, he never got broken into. When someone uses sentences like this to prove something definitively or to argue the case of um, what's true for all people because of one anecdote, beware. Beware, because that is what's called the availability bias. And what's, I think, scary about this is that um, if we if we hear something repeated enough, even if it's not true, um, we, can, we often pull an anecdote, even one that we knew at the time wasn't true, but in the future, we won't remember that it wasn't true. We'll pull that anecdote because it's available and use that as evidence to either confirm or deny. Pretty scary, the availability bias. So why do I share these with us? One, I share these with us because I think it's important to just have awareness that these are proven to be human biases, that these are ones that I have. I'm not saying you have these. We have these. We have a tendency to see the world through our biased lenses. Um, I love the quote from Albert Huxley. He says, facts do not cease to exist because they are ignored. Facts do not cease to exist because they are ignored. These, uh, these biases essentially cloud our ability to see life in reality, to experience life in reality. And that means that we make choices out of our bias and we experience the outcomes and the ripple effects of those choices that we make with our biases. So I think it's important to just be aware of them. If you want to know more of them, I find it helpful to just be kind of aware of some of my own tendencies and what humans tend to do and the biases that we tend to have. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to just start with a couple and then maybe give us a couple ideas on what we can do about this, like what we can do with our tendency to be a little bit out of touch with reality. Um, now that I know I'm biased, I just can't not highlight it as something that's really important. But at the same time, we still have to like make choices. We still have to live in the world. And so I think a couple takeaways, like what do you do with your bias? What do you do with the fact that you don't live in reality, that you have your own version of reality? I think the first thought that comes to mind for me is, to a little bit just embrace your imperfection. We can certainly set a course to live in reality, but we won't be perfect at it. That's not possible. So the goal certainly is to um, is to live in reality, but it's also to just recognize that we have a tendency to be a little bit delusional. And I love the quote that the best objectivity is subjectivity rendered conscious to itself. The best objectivity is subjectivity rendered conscious to itself, meaning your best shot at seeing the world objectively is recognizing your bias. It's recognizing that I'm subjective, and so I'm going to take a couple extra steps to make sure that this choice is grounded in the closest thing I can get to reality, not just my subjective uh, opinion. The best path to reality is to see your bias, to see the lenses that you wear all day long. I think this is a little bit scary for us, gotta be honest, when I think of all these biases and I'm reading about biases, it is scary because I'm like, oh no, like I, I prefer the ignorance is bliss perspective that I have objective reality, <laughs> that I, uh, my perspective is is the correct one. I think that helps us sleep better or not. I've certainly held that position in the past. I've held the position that I know what's true for all time and for all time in the future. I think that's why growing up um, as a, you know more fundamentalist um, and more religious it trains you to think that way. And I think that does make you feel a little bit safer at now at night, but I don't think it's actually reality. I think it has a lot of cons too. Um, so I, I do think it's a little scary to recognize your bias because 
Um, ultimately, we have to come to grips with, oh no, I'm going to make choices out of my biases and I'm probably going to make choices that aren't correct. That I'm, I'm going to make mistakes as a part of this. I think that's okay. I think the funny part about that is that like that's always been true. Like whether you know you're biased or you don't know you're biased, you're making choices out of your bias and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to have things that you look back on. You're like, that's crazy. I did that. Or, oh my God, that, that created pain and challenge. And I wish, I wish I would have navigated that differently. It's always been the case. So I think they're actually, I don't think ignorance is bliss when it comes to our bias. Ultimately, I think when, when it comes to embracing your imperfection on this, I think that part of the growth for us would be to get more comfortable with probabilities to not need certainty, but to ask what is most probable. Um, and what's most probable in many cases, this kind of leads us towards the path of, of a better choice. And um, we tend to have a binary bias as well. We want clarity and closure by simplifying um, complex problems and making them, you know, option one or option two. And again, Adam Grant talks about how it's helpful to complexify issues, to complexify topics, to complexify people so that we don't just put them in a box of they're good people, they're bad people, like to make things a little bit less black and white, to make things more gray, um, which will help us, I think, embrace just the imperfection in our decision making and the imperfection in who we are as humans. Second thought I would encourage um, when it comes to like, how do we manage our biases or deal with the reality that we have bias is to resist the tendency that we have to judge others and to judge ourselves. Um, I think that well, I mean, the idea of just being slow to judge others, if you wake up to the reality that we have bias, like the sentence, it feels like they're living in a different reality than them. Have you ever said that about somebody? Maybe it's on Facebook or maybe it's a family member, somebody that just sees the world differently than you. It feels like they're living in a different reality than I am. They are. They 100% are living in a different reality than you are. They have different social circles. They have different in, uh, incentives. They have different families of origin and different motives uh, to be to you know experience belonging, right? Um, and I just love the idea that if we knew everyone's story and we had all the context, I, I think that we just have so much more grace for how people arrive at certain conclusions. Uh, and also, I mean, when you recognize your own choices, like you don't have perfect object objectivity. We make our choices in community. My family, my friends, my algorithm. All those things inform my beliefs and then they inform my choices. So if we recognize that about ourselves, we can just judge others a little bit less because they're doing the same thing. In most choices, when you have full context, I'm not saying you would agree with them, but you might have more, con with more context, you might have more grace for them. You might have more ability to say, I understand how, given your beliefs, given your set of circumstances and incentives, you might make that choice. I think most importantly, um, having a little bit more awareness of our bias, um, I think, helps us not judge ourselves as much. I think it's easy to look back a decade ago and be like, oh my God, I was an idiot. How could I possibly have made that choice? And I just don't think it's very healthy to live there long term. I think recognizing our tendency towards bias can hopefully free us from the need to be perfect and to judge ourselves for all the choices that we would make differently now. Of course, you'd make different choices. You were a different person. You had different lenses, different influences. You likely had a different social circle with different incentives. So of course, your choices would be different. And I think if we can live with less regret and less shame, hopefully that can be one of the outcomes that is positive as a result of learning a little bit more about our flawed perspective. I think the last piece um, that I would encourage um, that hopefully can come out of 
recognizing our tendency to be biased would be um, that we would all maybe make a commitment to evolving that we would make a commitment to our evolution and I, I shared at the beginning that I'm pretty confident that you're biased I'm nearly certain there that you're biased and I'm hopeful that you're evolving and I think that if we make a commitment as people to embrace our evolution, to embrace, I'm, I'm a changing person, I'm a growing person, I'm not who I was a decade ago, and I am going to be somebody different a decade from now, I think that would help us um, appreciate the gifts of coming to awareness of our bias. I think in order to evolve, we have to embrace humility um, as kind of a foundation for our worldview. And I think that one of our best chances at getting a more objective perspective is to live in community, to be around some trusted people and to say, all right, here's my current take. Here's my current perspective on how I want to live in the world. Can you give me all the reasons why my take is wrong and stupid, right? Can you give me all your ideas on, I'd love for you to prove me wrong, poke some holes in my worldview because here's what I currently think and I'm prone to my confirmation bias. Give me a different perspective that would you know, prove me wrong. Going back to that Adam Grant quote, right? Give me some evidence so that I can change my mind. I think our best chance at, at reality is through community, meaning we surround ourselves with people who think differently than us and, it actually, and then we actually listen to them. We don't we don't surround ourselves with people who think differently so that we can prove them wrong and call them idiots. We surround ourselves with people who have different values, different perspectives, and we actually listen. And we let their differences critique our perspective. I think evolution means that um, we get comfortable with the sentence, I used to think this way. Um, Brittany was sharing with me the concept of rupture and repair in parenting and how important both are, right? Like when there's a rupture, when there's a moment that doesn't go well as our, as we're parenting our kids, um, like the worst thing you can do is just not repair it. And really, the when there is a repair, when there's a circle back, hey, Joel, I really lost my temper there. And I just want to say, I'm sorry, I was really stressed. There's a lot going on and I made a mistake. You know, will you forgive me? That repair can like cover so much damage that happens um, through parenting. Um, the rupture happens and those ruptures are inevitable. That's, again, our imperfection. But when there's a circle back and when there's a repair, we can actually fortify a relationship, make it even stronger, right? It's like when we get a cut on our arm, but then there's scar tissue and it, it heals and gets a little bit stronger. That's what rupture and repair is. And I think of that with our worldview. When we have a worldview that um, we change or that when we, uh, when we have a certain perspective um, that we, we hold, when we kind of view it through the lens of rupture and repair, it's important to like be able to communicate that out loud. Like I used to think this way and now I think this way. I'm circling back and I'm saying, I've changed my position. I used to have this perspective. Now I have this perspective. Um, and, and I think that approach, one, it certainly requires humility, but I also think it creates vulnerability and transparency with our friends and our family members and people that we're close to. And that gives, I think, the chance for us to have stronger and more fortified relationships. I think of even some of the quotes from Scripture and Jesus. He says, um, there's, you know, the famous passage, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I say, turn the other, treat, turn the other cheek. I say, love your enemies, right? And, and I just wonder, like, how much did Jesus evolve, right? Jesus was raised a fundamentalist, right? He was raised with, with old, old Testament ideas, right? Like, do you think that maybe, like, Jesus was ever like an eye for an eye guy? Like maybe when he was like 17 or 12, you know, like do you ever think Jesus was maybe really fundamentalist at 24 before he got all progressive in his early 30s? I, I don't know if that's true, but 
like it's interesting to think about maybe even Jesus updating his perspectives over the years and, and, and even to view his teaching through the lens of I used to think this way and now I think this way. I think the world would be a better place if we had more people with who were comfortable admitting beliefs that they no longer hold. So all that said, my take, how do I see the world? I see the world through the lens of our bias, meaning I think we're flawed. I think we're prone to be delusional, but I think there's some gifts in that. And I think that if we can commit to our evolution, that that will help. And I think committing to our evolution, committing to our humility um, actually brings out the gifts that our biases um, create for us. So uh, I'll end with this um, quick definition from Adam Grant. This is again from Think Again. He uh, defines humility and arrogance. And humility is uh, a permeable filter that absorbs life experiences and conveys them into wisdom and knowledge. Humility is a permeable filter that absorbs life experiences and conveys them into wisdom and knowledge. Arrogance, on the other hand, is a rubber shield that life experiences simply bounce off of. Arrogance is a shield that life experiences simply bounce off of. And so uh, if we talk about here, it's like that life is a gift. And we talk about how we want love to be the point that we want to experience life as a gift and that we want to help people experience as much love as possible. I really think that the hope would be is that we uh, are able to absorb life experiences, especially ones that critique our worldview and be able to absorb those and turn them into wisdom and knowledge. And I think that if we can let our guard down and put our ego down and our long-held beliefs down, admit that we're human and that we have bias, that we'll be more able to experience the gift of existence and to have an open heart that's required to give and receive love. So hopefully some of that resonated with you today. And hopefully today you can be more open to owning your biases and committing to your own evolution. So thanks so much for listening. I'm so excited for you to be a part of the series and to hear from our other speakers. Um, hope we get to see you soon. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us. To make a donation, head to eastlakecc.com donate.